Hi there. Welcome to the Culture of Life podcast again from Human Life International. I'm Tad Wojcik with Father Shannon Bouquet. Good to be with you again, Tad. Always talk, wonderful to talk about all these subjects. Yes. And today we're kind of uh, continuing off of an episode we had uh, a couple weeks ago. It's sort of a part two, kind of a spiritual successor. We're talking again about contraception. Um, this one is kind of more uh, with a focus on confused Catholics or, or Catholics who are not uh, either not in agreement with the church's teaching or don't understand it. Um, and, and that's a pretty big uh, kind of HLI's wheelhouse. So this should be a pretty, pretty good one, right, Father? Sure, sure, absolutely. Now, you know, Tana, what you said is, is important is uh, in, in a sense of either someone is not clear on the church's teaching, maybe they have uh, an understanding, at least they think they have an understanding of what the church teaches. And my experience has been in 11 years of, of serving uh, HLI, but also just 29 years of priestly life, you know, most of the conversations I've had with Catholics about the issue of contraception, I would say the strongest percentage of it, I'm not going to give a percentage, but just the, the high number would be that most people are just unfamiliar with the church's teaching. They, they, they think they have a clarity, and they just decide that, you know, they just disagree with it. But I have also found that when you explain it uh, and try to address the, their questions, uh, it, it actually opens up a conversation. And my experience has also taught me that most come back to the fullness of the church's teaching. They just realize that it's going to—the the difficulty is once they understand it, then it requires, in many cases, a change of life, a change of, the, of approach toward this most beautiful, beautiful uh, love between husband and wife, which you call the conjugal act. And so, so I, I think that's important how we kind of start today's conversation, is starting always with, in a sense, of what my experience has shown me. I've met very few people that are just so hard-hearted. I've met them. They're out there. But most Catholics, when they're, when they're, when they're given an opportunity to better understand, it, I've seen them be more receptive, and I've seen people, again, just change direction. So I'm hoping that today's conversation will, will kind of spark that same response, that uh, the church is raising up this good, this beautiful good, and, you know, uh, the healing balm that goes against uh, Archbishop Chapu. We're going to talk about Archbishop Chapu. I brought the book back that we started with the other day. Yeah, we had a, an episode a couple times ago with uh, Humana Vitae, both the encyclical, which I see you have there, and then also the uh, Humana Vitae 50 years later. And if you want to just hold those up, Father, sure, uh, sure. one by one, Humana Vitae 50 years later, and... And uh, and then the encyclical by Pope St. Paul VI, uh, Humana Vitae on Human Life. Right. And, and what we did is we, when, we were, when we were dealing in that episode with questions how to deal with people who are of non-Catholic faith, how to address the issue of contraception, I uh, began by—and I'm going to do the same thing today, you know, by really referring back to the opening introduction— of this book and, and opening pages of it, where Archbishop Chaput, who is the Emeritus Archbishop of Philadelphia here in the United States. And, and here what the Archbishop does in the very opening pages is he addresses the, um, the false understanding that we see in the sexual revolution, a consequence of the sexual revolution, where people have approached this very beautiful issue between husband and wife, this what we call conjugal love, and have seen it from a secular point that the, the world is pushing. So he addresses this. And then the way he 
then moves into the conversation before the actual text begins. He says, which I I really appreciate, I was reading this again this morning in anticipation of our conversation today. Um, He says, to this sexual chaos, so he's referring to the consequence of the sexual revolution, and he calls it this chaos. And and any of us who are honest about this, we can see the chaos. And again, being a a priest of these many years and and helping support married couples uh, in their vocation and addressing the issues of their struggles with um, with marital love, conjugal love, and questions about children and so forth, that it's it's confusion. It's they're, they're, they've they've been raised in a mindset. They have been influenced by the culture, influenced by social media. You know, people's understanding and the lack of of, of teaching from their own parents, or even very sadly and tragically, even dissent within the church on this issue has caused a lot of the confusion. So there's chaos. It's a chaos. And he says, the teaching of the Catholic Church enters into this chaos. And what does it bring? It brings the healing balm, which rests upon the whole revelation about how God made men and women and marriage, our loving God, and he says, you know, this uh, uh, invites us, he says, uh, as the children of God, to share in his life as men and women made in his image. And so, Tad, I think that's where we should start again, is to really open this up about this teaching that Archbishop is making reference to. And he says, in Humana Vitae, which is the little document that I'm making reference to here, he says, stands upon this central belief. And so here's the core, that God made men and women in his image. To be made in God's image speaks of God's desire for us. So that's the, that's the starting point. So to be made in, in his image means that, that God desires us. He desires to share his life with us. And then he says in this invitation to share in his life and then inherit the gifts that he gives to each of us as men and women. And what are these gifts? And this is where the archbishop in a very just a beautiful paragraph just kind of summarizes all of it for us to talk about and, and this larger book to deal with in regard to Humanae Vitae. And he says, foremost is the capacity to love just like God. I often remember when people would ask questions about when Jesus says to be perfect, to be as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Another translation, be holy as the Heavenly Father is holy. And people say, well, how is that possible? Here the Archbishop is answering that question. And he says, why? Because we have the capacity, because we're made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, to love just like God. And so, so we're, we're, we're made for this. Yes, as, as we all know, we're wounded because of the original stain. And yes, we, the consequences of that, and we have to constantly be working at perfecting that love in our daily living. Absolutely. So it doesn't just kind of a snap of a finger and it happens. I have to recognize it, know that this is a truth, and that's why the Archbishop is referencing this chaos. This chaos tries to falsify. Well, it not tries, it, it falsifies that truth, and it presents in a different way. And so what God reveals to us is this truth about man and woman, and that we are, have the capacity to love just like God. And then he goes on, to be faithful like God, trustworthy, merciful, compassionate, and forgiving. So I know our audience, and as, as we do, Tad, you know, go back to 1 Corinthians, and we, we hear St. Paul speak about this, love is patient, love is kind. Most people know that reading from having it probably proclaimed during their wedding ceremony. And, and, but do, do they really understand what Paul is, is referencing? He's referencing this reality. 
He's referencing what this capacity of love can do. And so when we have that starting point, Tad, then we can move forward. But if I don't understand this, then it's hard to understand why the church, as Pope Paul VI mentions in Humanae Vitae, why there was no option here of going in a different direction. The truth remains the truth yesterday and today, and it will remain the truth tomorrow about this good. And so if we don't understand the good that God has revealed to us about man and woman, the nature of man and woman, the capacity to love and and to love like God, then it's hard to approach friendship, relationships. It's hard to approach the conversation of, of purity, chastity. It's hard to approach the subject of, of those who are struggling, you know, maybe with an attraction in same-sex relationships. It's hard to answer, you know, the question about marital love and, and, and conjugal love and fidelity to marriage and why the church teaches what it does about the issue of divorce or cohabitation. And, but if we don't understand this foundation here, then those things that I just mentioned seem confusing. And in some way, they might even seem absurd. And, and so to, to many, because it, it doesn't just make sense. But when we understand the beauty of, of what it means to be male and female, what it means to be made in God's image, and how we, are having, how we have the capacity to love in ways that we may not think we're capable of doing, and to realize, and that's been what I've noticed in, in, in talking about this subject with, with Catholic couples who may be already engaged in a contraceptive mentality. And then when you talk on this level, they, they, it's, it's, it's something that oftentimes they think, well, can we do this? Can we, can we act in this way? In other words, can we move toward that, that perfection? And the answer is yes, but it takes great courage. And, and I think that's the obstacle for most people because it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require uh, an ability to step aside and to always, as we talked about in the last episode, you know, we talked about what it means to have a love for the other, a self not a self-concern, a self-absorption, but an other, if I may, absorption, to be concerned about the well-being. So as I made note in that, in that last uh, podcast, we said, you know, f- so for if you were married, Ted, and, and so in every waking moment, everything that, was, that governed your direction in your marital love for your wife, would, would be directed toward her good, that every waking moment you're thinking of what is for her good. Now here I'm not talking about, you know, making sure she has materials, possessions of everything. I'm talking about you know, the way that you way that you care about her, her well-being, you know, her, her happiness, her joy, you know, all the ways that you approach her dignity and you want that to be elevated, you want it to be raised. And if she in reverse did the same thing, then we could see how these beautiful words that Archbishop makes note of and what St. Paul makes note of become actualized. Patience, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, compassion, a concern for the other human being. And we're capable of this. This is the, this is the beauty and, and what the devil does and what our oftentimes our woundedness does is tries to convince us we can't do it. So if we go back to what I mentioned earlier about purity, you hear today that many young people being cultivated in the secular mindset think, well, we just can't, I can't live that way. That's an absurdity. But you can, and, and I can. And, and I, I joke about this, and I think I might have shared in the last episode, but I'm not sure so if, I, if I'm repeating it, you tell me and I'll stop. But there was a, a situation in one of our missions uh, in, in the country of Namibia, which is on the uh, western coastline of Africa, 
right above uh, uh, Cape Town. So the country's right above. And we were about nine hours into the country and in a, in a mission called St. Joseph's Mission. And, and I remember, you know, on this day, we were visiting a couple of the Catholic communities. In this situation, we were visiting a Catholic school, a college, a nursing, had a nursing program. And so long story short, I'm, we, uh, uh, Emil Hogamu, our director in English-speaking Africa, Dr. Brian Close, one of our uh, uh, researchers, but also in education and comes with me on many missions in, in, in our pro-life training programs. And we were doing a program on contraception. And, and so as I'm giving my part, uh, one of the young nursing students stands up and she says, you know, to us, we can't live without sex. Now, there is a truth in the reality that it is through the conjugal love between a husband and wife, open to the transmission of human life, that life comes into being as co-creators with God. So in a way, there is a yes to her, some, her statement. However, it's a statement that has a false part of it. And the idea here, so I ran over to five religious sisters who happened to be in the nursing program as well. And I said to them, sisters, I am so sorry that today you have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And the faculty, the students, all of us, including the young lady, began to laugh. And she says, well, that's not what I meant. And I said, no, I know. But in a way, you did mean that. Because we think that the culture that has so indoctrinated us, so propagandized us, that we think that this, this particular act is something we can't live without. And so as a result, it falsifies this beautiful good. So I know I'm kind of moving in different directions, but it's all connected, you know, to this conversation. And so that's why it's important, Ted, and, you know, to our, our audience, and is to, to be aware of the, the fundamental here that Archbishop Chaput is making note of. He's referencing the church's teaching here. And when we understand that, then we can approach that conversation, whether it be with Catholics or whether it be with non-Catholics, non-Christians, you know, so this, because the truth applies to all of us. And, and what I've seen is when we have an honest conversation, like we're trying to do today, just you and myself and, you know, in our audience, is if we present it in, in a reasonable manner, all right, and explain it, it's something that people can't understand. And it, and it makes sense. Now the decision is, am I willing to live it? And I, I go back to our Lord Jesus. I mean, that's what our Lord Jesus did. He presented the truth. Here is the truth. Remember, he talked about the beauty of marriage, and he says, you know, it's not because of God, you know, it's, uh, that divorce is not what God intended here. He said that was because what he said very honestly was the hardness of, of heart that Moses gave a writ of divorce. But with this Jesus note, but this is not how it was in the beginning. So he, he makes a, a, a reference to this. And so uh, in the sense of Archbishop's teaching here that he's making, bringing to the light. So this is what we need to hear, that I, I made in the image of God, I have the capacity to love like God and to love my brother, my sister, as God loves us and as God loves each and wants me in that love. So Tad, myself, and you, we can be very good friends. And in that friendship, there is a level of, needs to be trustworthy. It needs to have a fidelity, a, a confidence of, of concern for the other person. And then for those called to married love, of course, that takes another step in a, in, a, in a much more profound way within love to be able to give oneself to this other person until death do them part. And then to allow these beautiful words that Archbishop makes reference to come to bear, to, to really bear the fruit. That's why what I love when our Lord says be fruitful 
and multiply. So there are different ways of approaching that beautiful reading. To be fruitful here, for the couple to become one, to grow in that oneness. So, so this is the starting point, Tad. So, so I, I'm sorry to be a little bit long with that explanation, but it's it's a it's a it's, it's so fundamental, and and it helps us to understand as we start maybe addressing some of the other issues. No, absolutely, Father. It's it's extremely important to understand uh, where the church is coming from with this teaching and how. Um, it's really just uh, the gift of, of uh, God's, really his way of um, putting his image, the image of the Trinity in, in the human family right. and with the gift of human sexuality. So with that said, um, how can we address this issue among Catholics um, who go to church, maybe, uh, but they're not practicing the teaching? Right. Well, again, I think it's got a, a couple of things we have to kind of step back first. And we have to always ask, first of all, why would someone be unfamiliar with the teaching? And so the first thing we do, and that's what one of the, the main works of HLI, is to work with our, our priest and our religious men and women who are serving, you know, the human family, you know, in the various communities of the world. Because what I have found and I've seen in my own priestly life where the subject of the issue of contraception is not something that is talked about. It's not something addressed in, in, in many parishes, in most parishes, I would say. And because when, I, when you bring it up, and if we had an open line today, we would be getting phone calls that people would say, because I've done this before on interview, on interview radio interviews, on TV interviews where people can call in, and you, and you ask a question, well, I, Father, this is the first time I've heard this teaching before. Father, I've never heard it, this before. You know, And so why? Because they're not receiving this teaching now, I want to step it further back. Should it be when this teaching comes to bear only when a man and woman are moving toward marriage? So maybe they're in premarital preparation. Is that when they should hear it for the first time? No. It should be something that steps further back. And that is in the religious formation of each individual. So now here, Ted, who's the primary teacher? It should be the mom and dad. And that's where I think really there is a real fundamental problem is that many parents don't talk about these things and they're afraid to address, not the issue of contraception. So I want to keep that because that, that's something that is, that is it, it's, it's a falsification of a good. So let's not talk about the, the negative. Let's talk about the good. And so I, by focusing on the beauty of human sexuality. So the moment we are conceived, we're developing in our mother's womb. We're growing, we're maturing. And if everything goes according to plan in a sense of, it, of our development, we're born into this world and then our, we continue to grow. We continue to mature. And through our, our, our adolescence, our bodies change. Our, where our bodies are preparing for mature life. And part of that mature life, for those that are called to the marital state, is to be able to give oneself in marriage to another human being a man to a woman, a woman to a man. And the body's being prepared for that. Not just the physical body, the spiritual, the mental, everything is in, in preparation. So for parents to realize that part of the formation and education of their children is to help them with this. Now, only parents know when a child is ready to start having those kinds of conversations. But this should not be something that's, that's put off, you know, because... There's influence in our world today, and we can't take for granted, Ted, how, how the secular world has influenced this conversation. And as Archbishop talks about, this chaos. And our young people, even from the best of families, the, the most Catholic of families, where moms and dads are doing a phenomenal job raising their children, 
but yet their children still have friends. They still interact with other people, and there are influences always. And, and so if we don't prepare them by talking about these beautiful goods, then, then someone else is going to talk to them about it. Someone else is going to take that conversation. And that's why we're in the position we're in today, because this is what's happened. So that, to me, is very fundamental. In the parish, each of the parishes that I had the privilege of serving, we incorporated this to help parents. First of all, it's always start with the parents. And then we incorporated, integrated the church's teaching in a, in a very formal way into religious formation, always with the permission of the parents, but then, but not to take the parents' place. So we made sure to try as best we could to have a complementary relationship where we're working together in helping our young people. And what I have found is young people want to live in accord with God's will, just like you and myself. But if they're not given a chance, if they're not given an opportunity to talk about it, then then it either is perceived in two ways. It's perceived as something you just don't talk about, all right? So it's, it's taboo, all right? Or it's just something that's crazy. And, they, and, they, and that's because that's what people tell them. Ah, you don't have to live that way. That's crazy. And, you know, and so as I've written in many columns, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, who, who say that and believe it and think that you should, a, a person should be acting out as soon as they can possibly act out. Well, that's wrong. It's false. So that's the first thing to add to your question. And then the second part is, is it doesn't happen once. You can't just have one conversation. Now, let me give an example, and I'm going to use my, myself, my own dad. Now, I was raised in a very strong Catholic family, very large Catholic family, and uh, th- there was very little that we were not able to talk about. But when it came to the issue of, of human sexuality, it's for some reason, again, and I, I see this in different cultures, in African culture, Asian culture, you know, you're, I'm told, Father, don't talk about this in the public forum, you know, don't mention this, because it's, there's a cultural understanding that this is something that's more private. And that's a good thing. At the same time, it's, it's, they're, they're, we, we can't ignore the fact of the pressure being pushed against that culture, and we're not preparing people enough. We can talk about that later, but this is what my dad did. So when I was getting to the age you know, where you know, these things were coming to bear, my dad says, pulled me aside one day, and he said, we're going to have a little talk. And I said, okay. So he attempted, and my dad now is, my dad is one of uh, 17 children himself. It's a very large family. Uh, my dad is the third oldest. Uh, like I said, we we could talk about anything. There was nothing that we were told that we could not talk about. But when it came to this, it was, seemed like it was walking on eggshells. It was it was. And I still remember it. We just my dad and I talked about this about a couple of Christmases ago. We both had a good laugh. So he told me this. He says, uh, "You have any questions?" So he he talked to me about it, and he says, "You have any questions?" And didn't have any questions per se. And he says, "Well, good. I have one last thing to tell you." He says, "If you ever have any relations with a woman before you marry her, I will kill you." Now, there's something funny in that, of course, and for me, at that age, knowing my dad, I, I took him pretty seriously, all right? But, but we, what I laughed with him over was the fact he was trying to, he was not trying, he was saying something, there's something good here. And in his own way, he was trying to explain that good. And he was doing it by defending and, and trying to say, don't do. Now, there's a place, a balanced approach, don't do, okay? Even God says, do not steal, do not commit adultery. But at the same time, what he's doing is he's upholding a good. And that's what my dad was doing in his own way. And so, and, and that's the thing today that we have to do. We have to uphold the good. And so when we talk about it, you know, and, and not be afraid of it, it's not, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. it. It's something beautiful. God created it. It has a purpose. So, and I think that's the second thing I want to mention is purpose. 
is by using that word, we can talk again about this. So this microphone that I'm speaking into has a purpose. It's not meant to cut a, a butter. It's not meant to cut a hamburger. It has a specific purpose, which we have made it for, to, to fulfill. So I have been made with a purpose. I just gave that beautiful definition that Archbishop Chaput is talking about. I have a purpose, and that purpose is to be actualized, to be brought to fulfillment. Now, I can use this microphone to try to cut a steak. I can use it for the pr a different purpose, and it may work. It may, it may cut a stick of butter. Probably would. Now, would it cut a steak? Probably not, or unless it's very tender. So I can abuse the purpose for which I have been made. I can abuse the gifts for which I have been made. I can misuse the gifts that God has given to me. And that's where I think the tension lies, is where we have a false understanding of human freedom, that because I have the freedom to act, I have the freedom to choose. The question that I have to ask myself, Tad, is, is should I be doing this? That's the first question. But when I don't understand the good, when I don't understand the, the, the way in which God has made me to live, and that doesn't it shackle me. It actually frees me. It gives me the freedom because this is what God made me for. And so here it's important to, to teach that. And so, but when we, and I'll give you an example, you know, I had a, this is, you know, a number of years ago back in, in parish ministry, you know, a, a mom and dad came to talk to me about one of their children, an adolescent, who unfortunately they had found was, uh, 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 you know, veiled themselves to pornography, and then they learned that they were acting out in, with impurity. And so, the, the, and so uh, they were just kind of, what do we do? How do we address it? And so uh, the initial conversation was with both mom and dad. And in this situation, we were talking about one of their sons. And so the second meeting, the kind of follow-up, only the, the dad came. The mom couldn't make it that meeting. But this is important, the reason why I'm bringing this up, because it, this is what un unfolded. So as we were talking, and I said, well, have you, kind of what we just did, said to the father, have you spoken to your son about these things? About false, well, pornography is a falsification. It's an objectification. You're objectifying a man. You're objectifying a woman. You're using people as, an, as something to, to fulfill a, a pleasure, a, a gratification. And it's using people. This is not the human person's made for. And so these are, this is someone's mother, someone's sister, someone's brother. This is someone. This is not a thing, just like a water bottle that we, we drink the water from and dispose of the, of the container. This is a human being with, with an alienable dignity. And I said, and also the, your, your son, his body, his whole being, his total being is, is made to live in that dignity as well. So he's acting contrary. Again, long story is as I'm talking about this, I'm watching the father's face. And in his face, I watch it fall. His head kind of bobs a little bit. And that's when I realized that the father himself was struggling in this act, in these issues. And so by addressing it, it was also, it helped the father to be able to address his own human weakness and then to be able to help his own children. And, and, and I think that's also what causes Ted sometimes people to, to be afraid to talk about it. They're, they're, there's a little embarrassment about their own struggles and weaknesses, but I have again found as a priest, patiently, lovingly, without any, any, any sense of any fear, approach the subject, to talk about it. And in that moment, it bore great fruit. It, it, it produced something quite spectacular. And it, and, and it was able to address even to the point where I found out 
that that same couple was also using contraception. And that, that by, my, by me stepping into that, it allowed another conversation to occur, and we were able to address the total conversation. And, and I watched this couple really draw even closer to each other and, and grow in, in such wonderful ways. And it's so great today that, you know, that in, I still have a, you know, kind of a contact with them every once in a while. And it's just wonderful to see the joy and the happiness and to see their children. And, and they've done a great, great work with their kids. Now young adults themselves, some of them married now themselves and having their own children. It's just beautiful. We should never be afraid of the good. And, and stepping into that. And, and, uh, and that, to me, is how we can approach Catholics. You know, not with a stick. Church doesn't do that anyway. And I, I always obsess me when I hear people say, you know, the church is beaten. Please. The church is not. All right? And so it doesn't mean personalities or individuals might be approaching in a different way. The church does not. She promotes a good. She promotes something beautiful. As the Archbishop said, she promotes the healing balm, what we need. And so that's how we approach it. And then for a couple, you know, I've seen, you know, the, uh, who maybe having, uh, you know, practiced contraception for many years. What do we do in those situations? Especially when they hear someone like me, because I preached about it. And uh, on not just one weekend a year, I preached and I, I incorporated it into to Sunday homilies when I could. I always preached about this, you know, in, uh, in a catechesis, you know, uh, because of the work I was doing, you know, I met with couples many times with their children, in catechetical formation. So it gave me a chance to talk about these with parents and, uh, and to open conversations. So it's not something, you know, that it, you have to have a, a, a persistence and, and to love people enough to talk about these things. And, and so what happens is at first, in most cases, there's a hesitancy. Sometimes they feel like you, I remember a young couple, uh, Ted, in one of my parish assignments, when I was preaching on this, they walked out. And they just stormed out the doors, you know, hit the doors with their hands and just, I mean, just, and I think any priest that might be listening, you know, even good faithful people, they've heard this kind of stories, stormed out. About five years later, I see that couple, you know, at mass and they come up to me at, at the end of mass uh, and, or before mass, I'd come out, uh, I think I had come out the confessional and they said, uh, Father, and it was great to see them. I don't say any, I didn't say a word, just said, welcome, good to see you, long time. And, and I said, they said, can we talk to you after mass? I said, sure, sure. And so every, after Holy Mass was complete and people had left, they stayed behind. And the first thing they said to me, we owe you an apology. We are so sorry for what we did. You know, we, we, we literally, we acted like children you know, and only to realize what you were trying to do was help us. And we didn't want it at that time. We just didn't believe it. We didn't understand it, and we just didn't want to believe it. And because you preached that, it stuck. And, of course, we, we, we spoke ill of you in the community. We, we put you down. And, and he said, I'm so sorry we did this. I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I, and I said, but because of you, and we heard it again by other priests, and then we had to one day realize our marriage was struggling. We were, we were not even sure our marriage was going to survive, and we didn't know why. We loved each other. We cared for each other, but there was something wrong, and we knew it, and we didn't know what it was. And, and then we went to see our, the parish priest, and, and he had the courage to do exactly what you did, Father. He asked a question, or he brought up an issue. And at first, the same response. We were very upset, but then he just—we were there for help, so we stayed. And he had the courage to teach as you were doing that day. And if we had stayed, maybe we would have learned something and maybe prevented the harm that we brought into our marital life. 
And, and so we're here today to say we're sorry. We apologize. And don't ever stop preaching. And so I bring that up, Ted, because I think our priest, you know, at times, because you, you get the negative response. You might get the nasty letter. You might get someone that walks out. You might get a, a couple that says, I'm not coming to Mass here again. And in your mind, you don't want people to stop coming to Holy Mass. You don't want people to... to be alienated from the church. So and there's there's the first tendency is to then, okay, let me not say anything. Let me soften it. But in reality, no. We have to find a way to communicate it and then bring that truth to bear. And I can tell you, again, as I mentioned as we started today, I have seen more positive responses than I have seen negative in the long run. Initial, it's going to be negative because they're just not used to hearing it, all right? But if you persevere and you stay with and you love them, we have to love. This is what love does. I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to be faithful to you. So even as a priest, you know, not married, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be, I'm going to be there for the long haul till death do us part. I'm there. And so that's the approach. So that all starts when I know who I am as a son of God and whose image I have been made. And how I'm called to live in that love, and how I'm called as a baptized man, and as an ordained priest, how to love. And growing every day, always trying, and Lord, keep stretching. And this is what this challenge does, because when, when we falsify a good, it never ends well. All right? And this is what's going on. And so, like with this couple, who are on the brink of a divorce, a separation, and didn't understand why, and I, I praise the Almighty God for the priest who, who reached out, who they reached out to, and for that priest who had the courage to go after the real issue there and to expose it and help that couple. And this is what we have to do. And, so, and I share that because uh, in my, in my uh, ministry with priests, you know, as, through HLI, is this is something I have a conversation with one-on-one with a lot. You know, and, and that is, if we are not teaching this, then we ourselves are not helping people to come out of the darkness. We should be ministers of light, bringing that truth to bear. And so I would say this to catechists, working with couples, because it's not just here in the States that we're speaking to. We have people in different countries, you know, that may not be uh, being sacramentally prepared by their parish priest. It could be lay catechists, and most of the times it is. So that's why we work with lay faithful too. To help expose this, so so this is why it's a it's a it's a wonderful subject to address, because we want to lead people to the fullness of what it means to live as a son and a daughter of God, and to love in the capacity for which God has made us, and not to be afraid of it, and to do it joyfully, and and to see, and I will say this, uh, and this is be, this is now being heard, it's being recorded, and it's going to be played again, and I hold my ground. If we live in accord with God's will, if we live in accord with God's will, single, married, married, we will be the happiest people. And if we if and if I'm wrong, I'll eat a straw hat. Because I know I'm not wrong. I'll never have to eat a hat. Because <laughs> this is the truth. And it's it's the truth that Jesus says that sets us free. And so that's why starting with that. Okay, and I'm, I'm re- returning to it again because I, it's so important. Because if we don't understand this, then how can we talk about conjugal love? You know, for example, if I, back to Humanae Vitae, and I'm going to just quote from it. I'm going to read it. It's number, number eight. So when someone hears this, 
Conjugal love reveals its true nature and nobility when it is considered when it when it is considered in its supreme origin, God, who is love. So read it. Con- conjugal love reveals its true nature and nobility when it is considered in its supreme origin, God, who is love. Now, how many people who are married that may be listening have ever even heard that sentence? A reference to that sentence, uh, any even a paraphrasing of that sentence, probably very few. But that that sentence is powerful, and it's filled with an opportunity to know that conjugal love is noble. There's something beautiful about it, and it's not simply a biological act. That the unitive and procreative ends of marriage are in, indissoluble; they're inseparable. And that, yes, the good, the, the unity of the husband and wife in this conjugal love is what binds them and, and strengthens them and, and helps them to grow together even more closely. But it always is open to the transmission of life to try to separate these and to, uh, and to treat and act contrary to what God has intended is to distort that act, which is what contraception does. It changes that which is noble into something that makes it something vulgar. And, I, and it sounds horrible as I say that, but that is the truth. So I've changed the act. I've changed the intent of that act. I've changed the purpose of that act. Go back to what we talked about. And now I've changed this act that I'm saying to my spouse into something different than what it is. And, and then I try to convince myself that's not true, but that's not what happens. And so this is why it's so important to add to, to in our formation, in our catechesis, in our work with young adults, in our young youth ministry programs, in our catechetical programs with our young couples preparing for marriage, with couples who are married, you know, because the temptation is there. And as Humana Vitae deals with the, co- the question of responsible parenthood, which is, a, I know we don't have time, you know, today, but that's a subject in itself that's worthy of our time to talk about as we go forward, I've written on it numerous times. HLI, you know, speaks on this quite a bit in its writing because, again, it's something most people don't understand. And so uh, the responsible parenthood, and Paul VI talks about this. John Paul spent a lot of his catechesis talking about this. And, and so this is something to see that people are asking questions. We get it all the time as priests. Father, how many children? The, the, the question, you hear this all the time. And to move them away from the how many, to move them to the conversation of what the church teaches about conjugal love is where we need to lead them and then help them you know, in, in that discerning. So that's a conversation by itself, Tad, one day we can spend with. But I, I, sorry for, for being a little long-winded and talking about no, no, this, but there's something so beautiful here that we just need to keep raising up and, and, keep, and keep ringing that bell. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Father. And no, it's so important. You're you're the expert. Just <laughs> talk all you want in that. Um, but we, I mean, we do have to wind down the episode now. Uh, I do, I did want to ask though, Father, um, uh, what you have to say directly to, let's say, Catholic couples who have been contracepting right. and then um, those preparing for marriage who maybe they're cohabitating or are, uh, you know, somehow sexually active uh, sure. using contraception. The, the, the real challenge, and I would say to, to, to the people that you just referenced, is we need to, to, I would encourage, first of all, 
read what the church teaches. So in other words, form oneself. Even if you might disagree, it's fine. Read it. What does the church actually say? Not what, the, what people think the church says or what maybe they heard someone explain, even myself. You know, we're, we're all human, and sometimes our attempt to explain something is not always the most rational or reasonable, and maybe we, our, our attempt didn't really reach everybody. But if we go back and we read, and I would encourage people, especially our Catholic faithful, you know, to read what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. Go, go to the section on sacraments, particularly the section on holy matrimony, and just read it. And not once. Read it a few times. Let those words speak. And then, especially for married couples, pause and ask yourself, ask your spouse, is this how we live? Is this how we act toward each other? And that sparks conversation. And, and that's what I have found, you know, in these moments. And so, and to, and to those that are currently sexually active outside of marriage, my challenge really is to return to what, what our Lord Jesus says. So if we're going to say that we are disciples of the Lord, then we live in accord, as he says, if you love me, you keep the command. And don't think of the command as a negative. Think of it as what we talked about earlier, is the good, that God sees a good. There's something good. God can only create that which is good, all right? And so to, to realize that there's something here that is good, that God wants me to live. And so why am I living different than what God wants? And, and, and to realize that the church is, the, is the, the very instrument that God has created and given to us to guide us along that way in his teaching. And through the church, he acts and he teaches. He, he's guiding us. And so to just kind of push the church's teaching aside and just kind of create our own is, is to falsify what Christ himself established. And what he says to Peter and to the church, which you hold bound is bound, which you declare is loosed is loosed. So it's not just about the sacrament of penance we're talking about. We're talking about the full spectrum of that teaching. And so I need to open myself. And at first, it, it may seem, you know, foreign. And what I would say is having helped and served in various Newman Center programs and having had the privilege of visiting many Newman Centers and giving presentations, um, you meet a full spectrum of, of in the audience. Some who are who would fully in line with the church and in, in, in her teaching and, and, and striving to live it. And then you get people who are on the edge and maybe have fallen a few times. And and so this is not about a judgment here. We're not judging the individual. We're looking at what our choices and our acts are and asking ourselves, Ted, am I acting? Am I choosing in accord with what God has made me for? Or am I doing something contrary? And if the church, and she has, she has taught this from her very root, in our, our Judeo-Christian root, about the issue of contraception. This is not a new teaching, all right? This is not something the church is, is just created uh, of recent memory. The church's teaching on this, on this beautiful uh, understanding, has been with us for millennia. And so there's a good here that the church and our ancestry and our Judeo root has always forwarded, always advanced. Even when it's been falsified by many, and it has, doesn't change the truth. So the challenge I would say to the people that you referenced, Tad, is don't be afraid to search. Jesus says, seek and you'll find. Ask and the door shall be opened. Knock the door. I mean, ask and you will find, <laughs> and, and, and knock and the door shall be opened. It's there. And, and I will tell you from my personal experience again, working with people in those categories that you referenced, 
I have found the great majority, when they are given the opportunity to understand, step into that light, even with the challenges. I mean, I've worked with couples cohabitating, and when you expose the teaching of the church and help them to understand, the great majority say, then I, I, we, need, we need to live rightly and, and, and prepare ourselves rightly to live our life in love. You know, but how do we move that forward? But if no one talks to them, Tad, if no one, no one mentions it to them, and this includes family, it includes friends. You know, we should not be patting people on the head when they're doing something that's inconsistent with the, with the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have the courage to say, cohabitation is morally wrong. We need to say, hey, you know, and I've done this before, and, and again, I'm not making, I can't leap too deep because we, many couples today, married couples, sadly, struggle with infertility. So to, to immediately leap to think that, oh, they're just contracepting, that's why they have no children, that would be wrong. You don't do that. We've had that conversation before. At the same time, I shouldn't be afraid to, to raise the conversation, some kind of way to bring it up and to, and to allow, especially those who are cohabitating, those who, are, you know, who have been living with each other and you see no children. You, so you, you, there's not the assumption, but you can't ignore the fact that there could be the possibility that they're also contracepting. And so they, they've complicated this relationship even more so. So let's talk about it. Let's not be afraid of it. Let's not, and, and again, let's be patient. Let's do it exactly what Archbishop Chaput said and what St. Paul mentions. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's never, never seeks anything other than the good of that other person. And for me, that's always my intent, Tad. That's what helps me to get my, in a sense, my toe in the door to have a conversation and not to be afraid and not to be ashamed of the teaching, which I'm not, because it's the truth. And I know, just like those sisters I mentioned in the earlier part, and when I jokingly said, oh my goodness, sisters, I didn't know that you've been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And everyone has a good laugh because in that laugh, we realize there's a truth. And that truth is that we can live in the way that God has made us. And we can sacrifice to make that love come to bear. And we can love in the capacity for which God has made us. So a couple can, a married couple can live in that love. They can learn what it means to abstain and to sacrifice and to, and to discipline their, 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 their acts and their will in order for, to achieve that greater good, to reach for that greater good. And I, as a single man, can live that capacity of love and the purity and the chastity to which God calls me to live. I can live that. That's what I was joking when, with the sisters, because obviously, you know, it's either you are or you aren't. So, so the idea here is in, for, the, for the young lady who was not married. So for her, this was a challenge that she's not heard before. And so all of a sudden, you know, this, this gentleman from the United States, this Catholic priest, says something that she's not heard. But after the conference, all she had was questions. And so, and I still hear from her, you know, through uh, email. She still sends me, she's now a nurse and seems to be living in the right manner. So for what I can tell from her writing. So it's a great thing. So we, just don't be afraid. Even when they walk out the doors, as I mentioned about that other couple, and they will, but just stay true. If we're true, they will come around. Wonderful, Father. Thank you so much for that. Uh, words of encouragement, words of teaching. 
uh, on this very important issue. This is really what HLA uh, does best. I think that's uh, we we kind of make it our 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 wheelhouse. Like I said at the beginning. So right. uh, thank you so much, Father. Well, thank you, Dad. And thank you all for tuning in, uh, watching us on YouTube, uh, liking and subscribing, uh, as well as uh, listening on Amazon, Spotify, and Apple. We're really grateful for all your support. Um, Keep on listening and uh, watching and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.